Now, uh, Brant Montgomery uh, was, as you may remember, was a seminary intern here in the summer of 2011, and uh, we are uh, just so glad that you are back home now, uh, that you have come here from Canterbury Chapel, where you're serving in Tuscaloosa, and, uh, and that is great with, uh, with lots of people, most people here, and okay, we're with a few others, so that's good. Brant's going to preach after we sing hymn number 500. 25 verses 1 through 3. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please allow me for a moment to give my most humble thanks To my brother and sister clergy here at the Church of the Advent, and to all of you for your invitation to allow me to come back home and to preach at this most venerable tradition of the Church, this Advent Lenten preaching series. I consider it an honor to be here in this place this morning, preaching the Word of God to you, and I pray that the words that I speak will be from the Lord. There's a story that I remember hearing from the Reverend Andrew Mead, current rector of St. Thomas Episcopal Church in New York City, regarding the late Richmond Lattimore. Dr. Lattimore was one of America's most eminent classic scholars and a parishioner of Father Mead's during his time as rector of the Episcopal Church of the Good Shepherd in Rosemont, Pennsylvania from 1978 to 1985. Dr. Lattimore was a man widely respected in his field, and whose translations of Homer's Iliad and Odyssey were the pride of Bryn Mawr College, where he taught off and on for 36 years. Every Sunday, Dr. Lattimore went with his wife to services at Good Shepherd, but never partook of the Eucharistic bread and wine with her at the altar rail. It seemed that he had certain reservations regarding the church and Christianity in general. In his later years, he translated the four Gospels, the Acts of the Apostles, and the Book of Revelation. One day, Father Mead, visiting Dr. Lattimore in a Philadelphia hospital after having undergone surgery, asked the elderly academic if he desired to be baptized. Dr. Lattimore, smiling, said, Yes, I would. Father Mead then asked, Dr. Lattimore, I thought you had reservations about the Christian faith and the church. I did, replied Dr. Lattimore. Father Mead inquired, But you don't any longer? No, not any longer, Dr. Lattimore said. Father Mead couldn't help but to next ask, When did that go away? Dr. Lattimore was silent for a moment. Then, again smiling, said, Somewhere in St. Luke. It was an encounter with scripture that turned Dr. Lattimore's views of Christianity from reservation to belief. But this experience didn't just belong to Dr. Lattimore. For countless others, both past and present, and all of us, have had similar experiences of coming to the knowledge of a God who offers his grace to us unearned and undeserved through the pages of sacred scripture. 
For centuries, the question that has led many to the discovery of God's grace in Scripture has been centered on the concept of truth. Simply put, truth means that something is fact and constitutes a part of reality. The fact that the Holy Scriptures have withstood the test of time and that there are countless documented accounts of many having been and still being changed by them proves that the story they tell and the God they reveal is truth and very real. Jesus, God incarnate, accentuated Scripture's truth by becoming an actual part of human reality, thereby not just making Scripture the written truth, but also living truth, active and real within the human heart. Therefore, in Holy Scripture is found the truth that God's grace encompasses the most perfect form of love, that Jesus Christ is the incarnate form of God's love, and that those who confess the faith of Christ crucified, died, and risen will be extended the gift of God's grace, forgiven of their sin, and live into that which stands forever. How can we believe the assertion that Holy Scripture is true? Paul tells Timothy, All Scripture is inspired by God, and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. All throughout Scripture, the chief assertion that is made is that God exists. He is asserted as being the most supreme being who is infinitely knowledgeable, possesses unlimited power, and is present everywhere, and whose goodness and love is perfect. God is present from the very instant the Bible begins in Genesis until the last period in Revelation. What this proves is that God has a special relationship with the world and all who inhabit it. In Genesis chapter 1, the repetition of the phrase, and God said, is followed by actions that establish the earth, our island home. In Genesis chapter 15, God told Abraham that his descendants would be servants in a land that is not theirs for 400 years, but that he would deliver them. In Exodus, God followed through with that promise, offered his people a covenant, and offered them the land of Canaan. The Old Testament prophet's statement, Thus says the Lord, established the legitimacy of their message having come from God, whose word had consistently proven to be true. The point that we see being established is of God's word as authority. Theologian Victor Austin states, We cannot succeed at being human beings. We cannot have a flourishing human life without the functioning of authority in the multiple of dimensions within which we live. From Scripture, we come to the knowledge of God as a being who speaks the world into existence, whose own existence was before the world's creation, and whose words are always backed by action, signifying that God is a fully perfect being, 
capable of keeping the promises that he makes. These facts thus make scripture the container of God's word to the world, authoritative and worthy of humanity's reception as truth. And with authority's aim being for the successful flourishing of the human race, this ties right in to how Peter references Isaiah in the first chapter of his first epistle. That scripture, inspired by an all-perfect God, contains the necessities for the spiritual flourishing of the human race, presents the invitation of an active life with God, thereby drawing the individual into the ever-abiding presence of the Lord of life. The law, God's authoritative rule given, given for the purpose of humanity's flourishing, has as its core these two commands. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. When God gave the law to Moses, his intent was for the law to be a promotion of fairness amongst all within the human society. But our sin kept us from being able to honor this intent, causing us not to be in a state of fully loving God and our neighbor as ourselves. Because of our sin, the law suppressed us from being the people that, of God that he created us and intended us to be. In order for humanity to be cured from its perpetual failing proclivities, grace needed to come and be humanity's restorer into good standing with God in heaven. In his prologue, John identifies Jesus as the living word who was with God at the beginning and was God himself. Simply put, Jesus is scripture brought to life. God becoming human in the person of Jesus confirmed the scripture's testimony of the enduring love that God always had for the human race. Christ was born to die, and the ultimate sign of God's grace for all of humanity came through his full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice on the cross. For Paul attests that God shows his love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus fulfilled once and for all the debt required for our failure to obey the law and is the sign of unmerited grace for all ages, past, present, and those to come. So not only is scripture authoritative and the extension of God's truth written on a page, but is also a living, breathing entity through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the word who brings God's word to life. He is the word that abides forever. Christ, the living form of the scriptures, is a gift of grace. Paul writes, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. Christ is God's fulfilled promise that we are in the moment of salvation. Jesus, the living word of God, 
is the Savior of the world, and our confession of him as Lord makes God's word become living within us, bringing us into the abundance of the Lord's grace and mercy forever. Let us therefore give thanks to God for the gift of his word, both written and living, good news that stands forever. And may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you now and remain with you forever. Amen.